Thank you, Emily. The day before Thanksgiving, a man in Phoenix called his son in New York and said to him, I hate to ruin your day, but I have to tell you, your mother and I are divorcing. Forty-five years of misery is enough. We're sick of each other. And I tell you this first because you're the oldest. So you can call your sister in Chicago and you can tell her. So frantic, the son called his sister who exploded on the phone. She said they are not getting divorced. She said, I'll take care of this. She called Phoenix immediately and said to her dad, you are not, N-O-T, not getting divorced. Don't you do a single thing until I get there. I'm calling my brother back. We'll both be there tomorrow. Until then, you don't do a thing. Do you hear me? Man hung up his phone, turned to his wife, said, Okay, honey, the kids are coming for Thanksgiving, and they're paying for their own way. (laughs) Well, good morning, everyone. I do hope that you all had an amazing Thanksgiving. I hope you were able to spend time with loved ones regardless of how you got them there. You know, Thanksgiving is one day out of the year, just one that's actually set aside for us to be thankful. Thankful for what we have, thankful for who we have in our lives. It's one day to be thankful for God's blessing and what he's doing in our lives. So now my question this morning is this. Do you think a day of counting our blessings is sufficient? A day of taking a moment and being thankful? I mean, Paul says in Colossians 2 verse 7, Let your lives overflow with thanksgiving for all he has done. So Paul isn't saying that we should have a day to be filled with thankfulness, that we should have a moment that reminds us of our blessings. He's saying that we should be so thankful for what God has done in our lives that our very lives, our everyday lives, should be spilling over with gratitude. That as Christians, our lives should be so full of recognizing God's goodness that we're overflowing with thankfulness to the Lord. Do the people who know you well, who are around you regularly, who see you in real life environments, do you think that they would describe you that way? As one who is overflowing with thankfulness? I mean, if something's overflowing, people notice, don't they? I mean, it's like a glass full of water. You continue to pour it. It's overflowing. It's spilling everywhere. It's like running all over the place. People see it. People notice it. And Paul is saying that as Christians, our lives should be like that. Overflowing with gratitude and thanksgiving for what God has done. So today I'm going to give you one sentence. One sentence that I'm going to break down into three sections. 
that I think will help us all become a little more like what Paul's talking about. You see, I believe God truly wants to use this one sentence to help us move from maybe being someone that celebrates a day of thanksgiving to being someone that's life is characterized by thanksgiving. So let's begin with the first part of our sentence. When grace flows in. When grace flows in. You know, there are just some things in life that we just don't fully understand. There are some things that we just seem to get confused about. You take, for instance, my son Ethan. Now, Ethan loves pickles. I mean, all my kids and grandkids love pickles, so I buy these great big jars of pickles. And when the pickles are finished, Ethan likes to drink the pickle juice, which I just think is disgusting, but whatever. So one time, I come into the kitchen, and he has the pickle jar out. And he says, you know what, Dad? If you take cucumbers and you put them in this jar... They taste like pickles. I said, really? I said, you do understand that pickles are just cucumbers, right? See, some things are difficult to grasp. Another time, we're at Wendy's. Sitting down, eating. I look over at him and I say, well, how's your food? He says, I don't care for their french fries. They taste like potatoes. Some things are confusing. There are some things that are just hard to grasp. If you take grace, for example. Now, here's the thing about grace. I don't believe that you can understand the concept of gratitude until you, not like what we're talking about today, until you understand the meaning of grace. And we mention grace a lot here at the jar. Chris's teaching last week, the entire thing was about grace. But I just think that there's like so much in that one little word that we often have a tendency of taking it for granted and maybe we even understate it, like calling the Grand Canyon just a hole in the ground. You see, it's so big and there's like so much to it. In the early verses of the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul begins to talk about the fact that we've all been chosen by God. We've been loved by Him. We've been adopted by Him. And he talks about grace in the context that now God has now placed us all in His family. And in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, I want you to listen to Paul's words as he talks about this issue of grace. He says, it brings praise to God Because of his wonderful grace, God gave that grace to us freely in Christ, the one he loves. And in Christ, we're set free by the blood of his death. And so we have forgiveness of sins. How rich is God's grace? So in the simplest of terms, this is saying that grace is a gift. It's getting what you haven't earned. 
It's living a life that you don't deserve. You have been graced with something. In 1995, there was a strike in Major League Baseball. Some of you may remember this. Contracted players were holding out for more money. They were holding out for better benefits. There was a lot of resistance from the owners. In the spring of that year, the owners all banded together to determine that whether they had contracted players or not, they were opening the season. And they opened their teams to virtually anybody who could fill a ground ball and swing a baseball bat. There was actually people that coached literally one week was playing in Major League Baseball the next week. Now, Max Licato, who is a pastor and an author that I admire, he wrote about this experience, saying this. The games weren't fancy, mind you. One manager said his pitcher threw the ball so slowly the radar gun couldn't clock it. But, oh, did these guys have fun. They arrived before the park was open, oiling their gloves and cleaning their cleats. They thanked the attendants for washing their uniforms. They thanked the caterers for food. They thanked the fans for paying to come and watch them play. See, these guys didn't see themselves as a blessing to baseball, but baseball was a blessing to them. So what made this intriguing, what made this magical is quite simple. These were all guys who were living a life they didn't deserve. And they were chosen not because they were good, but just because they were willing. And that's grace. That's grace. God allowed us to be a part of his family. God allowed us to be on his team. Not because we deserve it, because we don't. Not because we're good, we're not. Not because we've earned it, we haven't. That's just because that's who God is. See, but unfortunately, there are a lot of people who have a hard time accepting A God who is all about grace. They struggle with this concept. They still think, for one reason or another, that it's all about rules. It's all about regulations. And they walk around in fear all the time, afraid that they're going to step out of line. Listen, you don't have to try to get God to like you. He already does. And it has nothing to do with what you've done. It has nothing to do with what you failed to do. It's about what Christ did. It's not about you somehow being good enough to get His favor. You already have His favor. I mean, isn't that an amazing feeling? I mean, that's amazing grace. He unconditionally loves us and He wants to grace each of us with a life we don't deserve just because that's who He is. 
Isaiah 30 verse 18 says, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. And friends, when you understand that, it changes the way you look at life. Because when grace flows in, the gratitude fills up. That's your next fill in. When grace flows in, the gratitude fills up. You see, when I, when I understand grace, gratitude is the natural byproduct. When I actually comprehend what has been done for me, the path that has been paved for me, the gift that has been given to me, I can't help but be full of thankfulness. You see, thanksgiving should be the mark of a Christian, just like what Paul talks about. But I also know from my own experience how quickly I can forget about God's grace. I can quickly turn my attention to other things and then I start grumbling. And I start griping. I start complaining. I start to focus not on what I have or what I've been given or what I've been blessed with, things that I should be grateful for, but I begin focusing on things that I don't have. Think about Adam and Eve. Two people, the crowning achievement of God's creation, created in His image, perfect in every way, dropped right in the middle of the place the Bible calls paradise, a perfect environment, and everything was there for their enjoyment. The only thing that God withheld from Adam and Eve was one tree. In the middle of the garden. The Bible says it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But everything else was for their enjoyment. Well, what became the focus for Adam and Eve? Technically, it was Eve first, then Adam, just to be true scripture for the guys in here. What became the focus... For Adam and Eve, it became all about the one thing that they couldn't have. You see, it wasn't gratitude for everything that they had or everything they had been given. They focused on the one thing that they didn't have. They focused on that one thing that God had withheld from them. And it sounds familiar. Because we do that. We do it all the time. We, all of a sudden, we start to turn our attention to what we're missing. We start to turn our attention to something that we haven't been blessed with. Something that we want. And then gratitude now becomes based on what we have or what we don't have. Or we begin to turn from God to whatever's going on in our lives. So our circumstances begin to determine our thankfulness. 
You see, at this point, things have shifted. Our attention isn't over here anymore. Our attention has moved. Our focus is not where it should be. We're no longer thinking at this point about what God's blessed us with. We're not thinking about how uh, God has gifted us. We're not thinking about how God has graced us. Last year I taught on the uh, book of Habakkuk. I'm sure you all remember that teaching well and probably still think about it quite often. (laughs) Anyway... It's a rather obscure book of the Bible. It's only three chapters long. But Habakkuk, he starts off his book with complaining. He starts off with grumbling. And his complaining basically goes something like this. Dear God, I find myself praying all the time, but nothing ever happens. doesn't seem to do any good. I look around... There's all kinds of violence and injustice. It seems to me in the world that wicked people prosper. Righteous people seem to suffer. God, what are you going to do about it? God, when are you going to do something about it? God, when are you going to show up? So he's got this long list of complaints that he's focusing on. But if you skip over to the end of the book... Three chapters later, verses 17 and 18, at the end of the chapter, he says this. And notice how different this is. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. And if you've never read the book of Habakkuk, you're probably thinking, what the heck happened between chapter 1 and chapter 3 that changed this man's thinking? And the answer is absolutely nothing. Nothing. Nothing in his circumstance changed. Nothing in his situation changed. Nothing as far as we know in his world changed. The only thing that changed was his perspective. See, he turned his focus from himself back to God. Chapter 1, he complained, whined, grumbled. He was letting his circumstances determine how thankful he was. In chapter 2, he got quiet. He got quiet before God. He listened to God. He basically had some quiet time to kind of refocus things. Chapter 3, he began to worship and praise God. So the only thing that changed in his circumstances was his focus and then his thankfulness. And your thankfulness cannot change until you change your focus. And it's only when you realize that it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about Him. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 18 says, No matter what happens, always be thankful for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. So gratitude has nothing to do with what you have. It's who you have. 
And it's when you get that. It's then that you start to see what's truly important. You start to see what really matters in this life. How lucky you truly are. How blessed you have been. How much you've been gifted with. How much God has graced you in your life. And then, like Habakkuk, you can't help but just be thankful. When you realize that, you can't help but just want to praise and worship God. Our mind frame becomes like Psalm 118, verse 24. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. When the grace flows in, the gratitude fills up and generosity flows out. That's the third part of the sentence. Generosity flows out. You see, when people realize that they get to live a life they don't deserve, when their life has been invaded by grace and they're filled with gratitude, you know what happens? It shows. It's like that whole overflowing thing again. Like I said, when the cup overflows, it's spilling everywhere. People notice it. People see it. It shows in our faces because we smile more. It shows in our words because we're kinder in what we say and how we say it. It shows in our actions because now we become more loving. We become more generous. It's like these emotions can't help but just work their way out. It's like the lady in Luke Chapter 7, who rushes in uninvited to a dinner party that Jesus is attending. The Bible doesn't really tell us a lot about her. It only says that she lived a sinful life. But she storms in and she's like so overcome with emotion that she begins to weep. And tears roll down her eyes and they roll down her, they come out of her eyes and roll down her cheeks. They begin to drip. All over the feet of Jesus. The Bible says that she gently kneels down. She takes her hair and she begins to wipe the tears off of his feet. That she's so overcome with gratitude. She actually kisses the feet of Jesus. And then she takes expensive perfume and she pours it all over Jesus' feet. Other people, they're getting mad. Other people are getting upset. Truth is, they're probably embarrassed. She's making a scene. She doesn't care. She don't care. She's focused. She's focused on what's important. And Jesus says this about the woman. Her sins, which were many, have all been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. She's so filled with grace. She's so filled with gratitude that her generosity, it's just pouring out of her at that point. It's overflowing. It's just what Paul was talking about. This is a cycle. Grace flows in. Gratitude fills up. Generosity flows out. It happens. Psalm 100, 
Verses 1 through 5 says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. For the Lord is good and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. You see, when we realize the gift of grace, that Christ died for us, that our sins are forgiven, our hearts get filled with gratitude, and we just cannot help but to express it in in loving acts and in generous deeds, regardless of what we're going through, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our situations. I'm going to show you a video about a woman named Helen who, regardless of her situation, in spite of her circumstances, was still capable of having a life overflowing with thanksgiving. Let's watch this. If you were to wake up tomorrow with only the things you thank God for today, what would you have? In Helen's case, every day for two and a half years, she woke up on the floor of a jagged metal shipping container inside a prison where she was beaten and tortured regularly. But one of the most incredible stories for me is her response to a beating that very nearly took her life. You see... Helen had been writing notes of encouragement and sending them to fellow prisoners, putting scriptures on them that she could memorize. And the guards came to her and they said, Helen, where is your Bible? And she said, I don't have one. And they said, is it in your head? She said, yeah, it's in my head. And they said, well, we're going to have to beat it out of you. They proceeded to grab Helen and, and, and they dragged her to a courtyard, placed her in the middle and started to beat her with wooden batons. What she does next has single-handedly changed my Christian walk forever. You see, in the middle of this beating, Helen stops and looks at the guy hitting her and says to him, I do not hate you, for you are just carrying out an order. But you need to know that I'm carrying out an order too. And that's not to renounce Jesus. So carry on. I mean, when they were finished beating her, they simply threw her body back into the metal shipping container. And as she lay on the floor in the container, she began to sing the following. Thank you for the cold nights. Thank you for the hot days. Thank you for the hunger, for the sickness. Thank you for the bugs that bite my body. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thankfulness. Have you ever stopped for a minute to think about what role thankfulness plays in your everyday? You see, I ask God for a lot. But in comparison, I thank Him for very little. The more I think about people like Helen Bahani and the persecuted church, the more it begins to dawn on me that 
It's actually reversed. You see, they thank God for almost everything. And in comparison, they ask him for very little. And this is because they're not following an institution called Christianity. They're following a living God. We're following a living God who walked the earth and who today walks the earth through his spirit. Our gratitude, our thankfulness, and the level by which we measure it should not be based off a set of rules or expectations, buzzwords, I guess, created by this Christian pop culture. It should be defined by Jesus Christ, who walked with broken people, loved the unlovable, stood in the face of religion, led with a character and set of principles that he would not compromise for anyone or any deal. Didn't seem to care about things like brand, fashion label, return on investment, number of friends on Facebook or followers on Instagram. And didn't mind looking awkward if saying no meant the right outcome was achieved. And on top of all that, loved a dying and broken world with a passion that could not be filled, stopped, watered down or contained. Jesus Christ, the Saviour of the world, who ultimately laid down his life so that a sinful, broken and dislocated group of people could have eternal life with him. And for that, I'm forever thankful. started out with one of the most powerful lines that I've ever heard. It said, if you were to wake up tomorrow with only the things you thank God for today, what would you have? Some of us may not have much. Some of us may not have anything. we may be left with a bunch of stuff that really doesn't even matter. It's all about what you're focusing on. Last week, Chris had a ladder up here on stage. And I was sitting over here looking up at it and realizing that You know, whatever you hold most important in your life, you place at the top of the ladder. And not only do we place it number one, but we base our thankfulness on that thing, on those things. And then what happens is life comes along and life shakes the ladder. And those things fall, come crashing down, and they crumble. See, our gratitude, our happiness, our focus should not be reliant upon things that can crumble or be taken away. Youth. I'm reminded of this when I get out of bed and my back's hurting. 
or I look in the mirror and I see all this gray in my beard and I realize I got more hair on my face than at the top of my head. It's like, what happened to that 18-year-old? Health. It's going to fade. Finances, relationships can and will be taken away. And if these are the things that you're putting at number one, if these are the things that you're placing at the top of your ladder that you're most thankful for, that you're focusing on the most, you're going to be disappointed. At some point, you're going to be disappointed. But here's the thing. If you place Jesus Christ at number one, the top of the ladder, you never, ever have to worry about losing what's most important to you. He's forever and always. So even if everything else comes crumbling down, even if everything else is taken away, you still have your number one. And if you still have What's most important to you, how bad can things really be? And it's that realization that moves you from being a person who has days of being thankful to a person who lives a life of thanksgiving. We're going to end today by doing communion, if you choose. This is where we remember what Christ did for us, this whole grace that we've talked about, this gift of forgiveness, this path of eternal life. It was bought at a price. It was paid for, just not by us. It was purchased by Jesus on the cross. So like the story that I talked about with Habakkuk, first I just want you to take a minute. Just take a moment and just reflect a little bit. It gives you a chance to kind of focus on things. Maybe confess to anything with God that uh, maybe is on your heart or maybe you need to ask Him for forgiveness for something. It's kind of uh, taking a moment that allows us to come forward with a clean heart. And then go to one of the tables set up, four tables around here. And I believe that there's a gluten-free one right over there. Go to one of the tables. Take some of the soap. Wash your hands. Now you got clean hearts and clean hands. Break off a piece of the bread in remembrance of Christ's body that was broken for you. Dip it into the juice, symbolizing the blood of Christ that was shed for you, and eat of the gift. When you're done, go back to your seat. And again, as Habakkuk did, we are going to close in worship. So let's have a moment with the one who knows us best and loves us most.
God, we just thank you for thank you for every person in this room today. God, I pray if there is a person today who has not entered into a personal relationship with you, has never experienced the, the kind of grace that we've talked about today, I pray that they make today the day. God, I pray that today is the new beginning of being reborn. 
God put it upon their hearts to come up after the service to maybe the prayer team or to me or to the table in the back, the back corner, and just make this once-in-a-lifetime changing decision. And God, for all of us who already have our names written in the book of life, God, we, we desire to be more grateful. God, we want what Paul talks about. We want to be overflowing with thankfulness. And God, not just today, but every day. God, we desire and we want to put you first and we want to focus on you the most. In Jesus' name, amen. Prayer team will be up here if anybody needs prayer. Know you're always loved in this place. We'll see you next week. God bless you.